You said you'd come. Now let's hope you're not too late. Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing in the big and small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight, and let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. <laughs> Scott, man, you just ran and got some food, I understand. Yes. What did you pick up? I want to know. Crystals. Oh, okay. Is that like something in the South? I have no idea. It's a food, fast food chain. Oh, okay. So burgers and fries, that kind of thing? It basically, it's the version, it's the version, like when people talk about White Castle. Okay. Like I, I, we don't have White Castles here, but what I look, what I see of what White Castles, that's what Crystals is to us. Okay. Okay. White Castles is just something special. I, I got to tell you that. Well, we've got Crystals, and then I also got some, and then I got some junkyard fries. So. Okay. That sounds legit. It was good. Finished it right before we started. I mean, literally, I drank water and then I hit record. What can I say? All right. Well, very good. And then I'm going to be running off. This is going to be quick tonight, guys, and that's kind of my fault because I'm running off to go see Kingsman tonight. All right. Well, and it's going to be a tight schedule because it's my fault because I had to postpone yesterday's recording until tonight, which is Saturday. Alrighty then. Well, as always, let's remember that we do have two other shows in the Suicide Squadcast Network. We do have Fans Without Borders, a must-listen-to show with Britt and Ray. Must-listen-to, absolutely. And then we also have DC Comics Squadcast. That's got Chris and Jordan hosting. And those guys are getting close to 50 episodes now. Jeez, I just wish I was listening to their episodes. I'm still stuck back on episode 34. What can I say? <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, so, congratulations, guys. I uh, can't wait to hear episode 50 because, I mean, that's going to be at the heart of like some really good stuff going on with doomsday clock coming up soon they better be covering that yeah yeah that's gonna be right around that time so all right uh guys so we have a giveaway right now so we're gonna jump right to this we got our 10th review on itunes and that means we are about ready to give away another dc trade paperback scott this one comes from lobo wolf 11 and lobo wolf gets right to the point good stuff keep up the good work tim and scott well thank you lobo wolf 11 and with those and with that one two three four five six seven eight and that 10 word review you are now entered into our giveaway and to recap our 10 contestants in order received are the real sanji mk bauer photo zaire campos johnny mac 18 wavery warriors dms 737 storm and mormon charlie husky 158 prof howweg and lobo wolf 11 and using a true random number generator on a number of one to ten we are about to hit the button and tim Oh, who's the winner? The winner is number four, which is Johnny Mac 18. Johnny Mac, congratulations. Now, Johnny Mac, I had to look at this. I have the titles up here of what the review was, and this is, I should have done this a long time ago, Johnny Mac. Well, it looks like you did it at the right time, apparently. Apparently. Because you want a DC trade paperback. <laughs> so, Johnny Mac 18, please reach out to me on Twitter and let me know what you would like. The best thing to do is go to Amazon.com, find a DC trade paperback, and uh, it's got to be $15 or less, and let me know uh, what you want. And I will get that off to you. But leave me your name and number and uh, any kind of other like shipping information I might need. All right. And then we already have another review ready for the next giveaway. Yes. And this comes from Shop 23 uh, called the All Things DC Podcast. I just 
started listening to the show at the beginning of the month. I heard Scott on Supergirl Radio, woo, and I listened to the Suicide Squadcast after that, and I'm hooked. The amount of DC material covered each show is amazing. I went back and listened to the last 11 episodes just to hear what you guys were talking about, and I got so much great information from doing that. Keep doing what you were doing. This one of my top podcasts to listen to now. Well, thank you, Shop23, and I remember seeing you on Twitter, and thank you for following us on Twitter and interacting with us. And now, Brent and Tim can stuff it for all the little guest spots I've been doing on other podcasts. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wasn't criticizing you. I was just making an observation. It seems like you only guest on shows that are hosted by women. Just saying. And apparently it pays off. So you know what? What am I saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Okay, Playa. Um, all right. So we are now nine away from the next giveaway. And if you guys feel like we deserve it, leave us a positive written review on iTunes and you will automatically be entered. And we are, like I said, we're nine away. So make this happen. Yeah, Come let's on. make this happen. All right. Oh, well, first thing off, kind of a big deal for those of us who are DCEU fans. Uh, that short film that Zack Snyder has been teasing finally dropped on Vero this week. And at the same time, there was an excellent article on Wired that dropped right about the same time. Actually, I saw the Wired article before I actually saw the short film. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the reason we want to talk about this, obviously, you know, we're this is not this is not DCEU related. This is Zack Snyder related. But I mean, we're obviously big Zack Snyder fans and all that. And we're just, you know, we're happy to kind of see him doing some work again after his family tragedy. But this was kind of cool, man. This was like a four minute uh, short film that he did basically over a period of a weekend. And he did it with uh, some friends and family. And you've got some details on, you know, who all was involved in this. Yes. So one of his daughters, Willow, was a makeup artist and she helped. And if you see the film, you can tell there was some makeup needed. Uh, His son, Eli, brought along friends from UCLA to work as production assistants. And actually, uh, Zack Snyder has uh, shared some pictures of him, of Eli holding the snow machine for one of the alley scenes. And then uh, Samantha Joe, who was an Amazon warrior in Wonder Woman, uh, is the lead in the film. And so they, they like to say, they shot the whole thing the last weekend of April in and around Snyder's office on the Warner Brothers lot in Los Angeles. So take that, haters who say that, you know, Warner Brothers doesn't want them around. They let them shoot a short film on their lot. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Now, I don't, this was pretty much, uh, it was kind of a mixed time period type of short film. Like it kind of went back and forth and in time with the events uh, around uh, Samantha Joe. And uh, so it was a little, you know, it's one of those that you have to kind of watch twice to kind of, you know, get a full grasp of what's going on in it. No, I watched it once. I was good. You know, no, come, come, come on. P- pick up the pace, Tim. You know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You can watch it one time. It's good. Are you, you, you done patting yourself on the back? No, but I'll move on. That's okay. fine. No, but I mean, the thing, uh, I mean, there's not even any dialogue, I don't believe. There, there's maybe one, one line. line of one dialogue. Line. Okay, yeah. So it's it's basically uh, just a bunch of different cut scenes kind of showing what happens to Samantha Joe's character. And the thing that just really struck me, uh, the thing that just always excites me about Zack Snyder films is just, it's, it's like visual poetry, man. The stuff this guy does and the fact that he did it with an iPhone and some uh, some add-on lenses that he did, uh, that he used. And uh, it's just amazing what he was able to do with this. It, it still looks like a Zack Snyder movie with on an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, that's what amazes me. And it's like, the great thing about this, and just to give you a little more background, the reason Zack Snyder did this is because he's intending to do, he's going to be teaching a class at his alma mater, which is the Art 
Center College of Design. And he's going to be basically teaching a class about how you can basically make a film with an iPhone. And that's when he kind of realized, like, oh, wait a minute, I've actually never done that myself yet. <laughs> I mean, like nothing to like a whole like short or a whole film of any sort. So so that's that was his objective here was to basically do this over a period of weekend and uh, film it. And I, I think what's great about this is it kind of shows that every single one of us who have any kind of like, you know, itch to try to do something to try to film something like this, man, you could definitely do it and knock it out of the park. Like, you know, like there's there's so much you could do just with uh, simple available technology right now. And we're not going to go into the complete details because that's not really our, our wheelhouse right now. But if you are interested in like what kind of hardware he had with his iPhone to make this film happen, check out this Wired article. I mean, it's it's Wired.com. It's written by Angela Watercutter. It is a, I mean, they give details about the hardware and everything that you would need to shoot something in the style that he that he shot it in. But then it's interesting because the article also goes on to talk about professionally what is what is his next steps. Um, he says that he plans to offer the class at, during the post-production of his next movie, which he doesn't really know what that is yet, so he doesn't know when he's offering the class. But it's likely going to be that movie, The Last Photograph, that we have talked about previously. That's one he's been working on for quite a while, too. Like, since 300. Yeah. No, like, he's been kind of... And he apparently... And I, I'd heard about this, but I didn't really know until I watched the uh, read the Wired article. But apparently he is working on a script, and he wants to adapt Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. So I'm very interested in that. And then he'll also still be executive producing many of the forthcoming DC films. Uh, but he says that working on the script and prepping for The Last Photograph will likely take up most of his time in the foreseeable future, which was already a project he'd already said, even before we knew about the family tragedy, that that's what he was going to be doing after Justice League. Right, right. Now, uh, this uh, he did actually touch on Justice League as well, and he, and he said that it would be unfair of him to actually go back and get involved in the Justice League film after being away for so long. And uh, this is a quote from Zach. He says, I'm at a place where I feel excited about, about it, and I'm happy for my guys, and I love these people that are working on it. And they're my family, and I think they're doing an amazing job, but I've kind of just let them do their thing. Well, I just think that's the most professional thing you could possibly do, to be honest with right, you. Right, right. It is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's been uh, a lot of people that were hopeful that he was going to be involved in, like, the editing of the film. You know, we kind of, you know, we're of that same group that we're like, oh, we'd love to see if he can kind of get back into it. But, you know, he's basically at this point just saying, you know, um, he's asking Joss to come in and, and do all these additional uh, scenes and all that. And it's it's really, it's really going to be his cut of the film, ultimately, here. Yeah. And then, you know, and we talked about DGA rules, but we had to go back to what we, and I think we even made clear about this in DGA, those are his rights. He has chosen to give up those rights. Right. So, I mean, so that's just, that's the way it goes. I mean, if he doesn't want to exercise his rights, he doesn't have to. DGA just ensured that he could. Right. And so, I think, and this is our first confirmation that he's choosing, nope, I left it in Joss's hands for a reason. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. And we'll talk more about Justice League in a little bit, too. We got some, we got some news, you know, some little hubbub happened on the internet. <laughs> Shocker. Just a little bit, yeah. But, just a little bit. But let's talk about some other things before we get into that kind of um, mess. Um, Wonder Woman is pretty much done with her box office run. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's still some screens, but I would not expect there to be a whole lot of dollar amounts coming up in um, the foreseeable future. So if you think about the fact that she opened with a $103.251 million weekend, she ended domestically at $411.4 million and a worldwide total of $818.9 million. I, that ain't too shabby. Yeah, and that final domestic number results in uh, a common metric uh, that we use is like what the multiplier is from the opening weekend to what the final amount is domestically. That's a four times multiplier. It's almost exactly four times the amount. That's a very high ratio. You normally don't get films like jumping up that high. I think I think actually Batman v Superman might have
might have been like two points something. It, it wasn't anywhere near what this four four time multiplier was. But no, yeah, no. so I mean, uh, eight hundred eighteen point nine million. It's just amazing. I mean, that exceeded like anything uh, we at all just expected from this film. And imagine if they had actually done some marketing, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. So I apparently, know. and this goes back. I'm just gonna sit, I'm gonna tell you this. You know, I'm gonna be so careful to sit there and quickly criticize what the studio's doing because they apparently knew what they were doing. They were talking all along that they were taking a new marketing strategy on these things, that they were doing precision marketing. Uh, they were basically kind of doing these little precision strikes going after certain groups and demographics. And, and it was it, it wasn't always going to be things that you were going to see in your face. And apparently it worked. Well, that and let's be honest, they made a movie that was a little bit more of a crowd pleaser that had excellent word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And it got people it got people's butts in the seats that don't normally turn out for these kind of things. So let's keep that in mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, again, so just to put this in context, some other films uh, that it didn't quite, it's, I think it's like the one, two, three, four, five. It's the fifth film overall domestically for a superhero film. And the ones ahead of it are The Dark Knight Rises, which is $448 million, Avengers Age of Ultron, $458 million, The Dark Knight at $534 million, and then Avengers at $623 million. So number five overall domestically, which is still pretty amazing. Two team-up films and two Batman movies. Yeah, which were all essentially sequels. Uh, ex- yeah, I mean, yeah, because Avenger, even Avengers is the first Avengers movie was still the fifth movie, you know, the sixth movie in the MCU. So, and apparently, uh, we have it's been revealed that Gal Gadot will be hosting Saturday Night Live on October seventh with musical guest Sam Smith. That's awesome. Which will be great timing because it will be just one month before Justice League. Yeah, and we all know, like you know, when Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman film was coming out, she was not able to host because she was I can't remember if she was just about ready to have her child or if she had just had her child. Right. She was either just about to give birth or she had just given birth. Yeah. One of the other. So, I mean, she just simply wasn't able to do it. But Chris Pine did it, and he was hilarious. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and this is going to be great, because, I mean, this gives uh, this gives Gal Gadot a chance, and um, certainly the Wonder Woman character, a chance to really shine right before Justice League. So this is going to be great. This is going to be great promotion, honestly. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, a Patty Jenkins interview that she had with Mark Daniel from the Toronto Sun. Now, a lot of the stuff that she has said in here is stuff we had heard before, but I did want to talk about a couple things here, because these are things that kind of come up with fans when they have questions about why certain things were done and or maybe not done with the film. And so I want to talk about it in this one. She went on to talk about uh, post-credit scenes and she kind of outlined her philosophy. And I can tell you, I, I really agree with what she said. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of read off some of the statements she said. She says, she's not always a believer in post-credit scenes. Uh, she feels like they make sense that the films are extremely similar. She says, if you know the next movie is going to be set in the same world or have the same exact tone, then she thinks it makes sense. To her, it does not make sense to have a commercial for a completely different style of movie in the credits of another movie. And she said one of her favorite things about the DC Universe is that they were super supportive of her doing her own tone and that there is no other movie that they have that's of the same tone. So it just felt weird to do any other kind of crossover. So she's referring to like, you know, the the post credit scene or she said it just didn't, it wouldn't have felt right. And she said, and we had made the same point, Scott. Also, the end of the movie was the end. It wasn't tune in later for more. And that was, I think, one of the points that we had kind of made is like, you know, that's one of the advantages of not having a post credit scene is it allows the the movie to truly just kind of finish up and then not have some kind of like weird continuation of it. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of like, you know, how Ed is mission. I'm glad that was just a, I, I know some people disagree with me, but I'm glad that was a bonus on the Blu-ray. Me too. I'm glad that wasn't uh, an actual tag on at the end of the movie. I like the movie being over. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, and, and, and it was interesting when, she, when, as you were telling me this quote, it just reminded me of how, that's kind of how I felt with the end credit scene uh, at the, the second one at the end of Ant-Man, because it was, it was, it was a scene from Civil War, which felt completely different from Ant-Man. Yeah. So, you know, 
know, that, that that's a case where that end credit scene completely clashed with the movie I had just watched. Yeah, so spot on. I, I really agree with this, and it, and it makes sense as to why, uh, they, you know, they're choosing for the most part not to do, you know, end of credit scenes. So also, Patty Jenkins went on to talk about, like, deleted scenes, and, and we've talked about this before, but she reiterated that there are no deleted scenes in the, in the film, but they have extensions of certain scenes on the Blu-ray, and then she said if, if she had actually gotten her director's cut, she said it would probably be just, like, five minutes longer with some extra stuff that she liked, but it would be almost identically the same movie. I would guess it would just be those extended scenes yeah. like in their in their entirety. I think so. I think so. And then uh, the last one, I really like this last thing. She said, she was asked, like, what was the best film compliment she had gotten? And kind of off the top of her head, she said she's gotten a lot of interesting comments that moved her. But she said, in particular, there was an image that came to mind for her of an elderly woman sitting at the back of a movie theater. And she said, superheroes were invented to make people imagine if they could be that powerful, what they could be like. I feel like Superman the movie did that for me to see people who have not identified with the superhero genre experience that kind of wonderment through our movie is so powerful. That that is a great uh, that is a great. And I don't remember a particular scene that it must have been something she had seen, but just like just somebody you know who probably dreamed of that. You know, maybe this was like a, like a little idol of hers as a child, and to finally see that come to fruition in in a film is is got to be pretty amazing. Okay, so now let's talk about this Justice League stuff that's been kind of stirring the pot on the internet. Okay, reportedly there has been an assembly cut of Justice League that was screened. Now, some people said it was a test screening. Some have reported it's just employees at Warner Brothers. There have been some conflicting reports. Now, Tim, you've got some technicalities that you wanted to make sure that you included for our listeners. Yeah, so, I mean, just uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, information about what an assembly cut is. An assembly cut uh, sometimes goes by different names. Uh, it's Sometimes it's called the editor's cut, or it might be called a rough cut, or sometimes you'll see, to, see it referred to as like an assembly edit. It is the first assembly of all the scenes that have filmed been filmed put into the intended order. There's no special effects in this. There's no soundtrack. There's no sound effects. Probably in a lot of cases, the audio's uh, not that great because they'll need to record additional dialogue to um, to replace it. There's no color timing. There's no color timing, nothing like that. So there's uh, it, some of the scenes will be will run on much longer than they probably should or probably will because they just basically put the whole run in there and it just gives them a chance to figure out, okay, what, what part of that scene do they actually want to use? You know, usually this is put together just strictly by the film editor because this is being done by the editor while, you know, he or she is working away while the director is actually still doing principal photography. And so, you know, as they get these dailies, uh, they'll, uh, the editor will just kind of add these things together and just kind of put these things in order. And it, this is what the assembly cut is. And, you know, in a lot of cases, like the assembly cut's certainly going to be longer than where the film ends up. But I mean, it could be as much as like one and a half to two times longer than what the actual runtime of the film will be. And uh, so at this point, again, since this is all during principal photography, there's no pickups, there's no added scenes at the stage. So in this case, if this was an assembly cut that was put together with uh, Zack Snyder's footage, you know, there wouldn't be anything in there from Joss at this point. But, you know, again, we've had kind of conflicting reports about what that might be. Because we were supposed to have already have had a Zack Snyder assembly cut back in January, which is the whole reason Joss Whedon was writing those new scenes that we learned about. Right, right. Now, what's great about the assembly cut is this is the first chance to kind of go beyond, you know, what, what you see on paper with the script. This is where you actually get to visually see this movie being presented, or at least the rough cut of it. And this is where they identify, typically will identify plot holes, continuity errors. Like, you know, if there's shots that just look inferior, they identify them and say, man, that's that just does not look good. We want to redo that one. They'll identify missing shots or missing context in this phase. And so that's basically the purpose of the assembly cut. It's, it's actually the first chance, aside from reviews of the dailies that the director has throughout the filming process, this is the first chance that the director typically 
has to to really look at the whole film being put together. And once again, th- this is the exact same thing we were talking about back when we found out about uh, Zack Snyder stepping away, finding those plot holes, finding those continuity er- uh, errors. Once again, those were the things that Zack Snyder asked Joss Whedon to write. Was like, ooh, stuff's missing. This this doesn't move from A to B. This is what I and so remember, one of these has already been viewed. I mean, that's the reason Joss Whedon was on board in the first place. Right now, this assembly cut is typically it's it's just between the the filmmaker and the editor. This is where the filmmaker will sit down with the editor and they'll go back and start to tweak some things. And and this kind of leads to what uh, is commonly referred to as the director's cut. And this is like kind of like this is what the director wants to see in his or her film at this point. And so then at that point, once that director's cut is completed, then you start to get some of the other players involved, like the producers and all that. And then they, you know, any, you know, anybody that might be representing the studio, they start to get involved. And that's where some other editorial decisions can be made. Now, okay, there has been some, a lot of reporting going on because apparently there has this been cut. There was this cut that was viewed this week. Now, we we should call this, I mean, we should just say this is going to be some so-called spoiler talk, depending on whether or not you think it's a spoiler, but we at least, you know, put out the warning on this. I would say skip ahead about five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to hear anything that we're about to talk about. Fair warning. Okay, done. All right. So along with the, the news that the assembly cut had been viewed this week, there was also a lot of reporting about characters who had been previously announced that were going to be in the film that according to sources are have been cut from the film at this point. Now, Lex Luthor, we had actually heard about this from Batman on film several weeks back, but we chose not to report it because, you know, at that point, we we just made that choice. Like it wasn't there was no there was no one else reporting it. It was there was no confirmation. It had just been a Q&A on Batman on film and we had just decided not to report it at that time. Uh, but now uh, Batman News has been reporting the same cut as well, along with the fact that Iris West apparently has been cut from the film. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should kind of talk about what do we what do we think about this potential information? Do we do we think it's do, do we think there's some leg- legitimacy to it or not? Um, I I have had the feeling in my stomach that ever since the Ben Affleck Batman script has been thrown out, that was going to have Deathstroke, and I still to this day swear that that picture that we saw of Zach working on that storyboard wearing the Batman gauntlet, it looked like Lex Luthor was talking talking to Deathstroke in that storyboard. So ever since the question, ever since we became to question what was happening to Deathstroke in the DC universe, I will admit that I started to fear that Lex was going to be cut out of the film as well, because it seemed like those two character stories were going to be sort of intertwined in the Justice League film. Yeah, and it seems like whatever they're planning to do with Manganiello and and his character of Deathstroke, uh, whatever they're planning to do in the DCEU might be repurposed at this point. And if it's being repurposed, you know, whatever seeds they were planting in Justice League, you know, they may be they may be starting up that storyline somewhere else at this point. And we kind of speculated, you know, it, uh, it's, it, it probably is not going to be the solo Batman film uh, because that was one of the things they brought in Matt Reeves with is basically, you know, uh, allow him to kind of tell the story he wanted to tell. And the Deathstroke storyline was was obviously not part of that. You know, we also speculated maybe this is going to kind of, uh, you know, start up in maybe a Nightwing film or something like that. Yeah. Now, talking about Iris West, I'm going to be honest, I've always been a little um, sketchy on that ever since Rick Famuyiwa got um, stepped away from the film, and since Kersey Clemens was a Rick Famuyiwa hire, I have not. I've kind of been holding my breath about whether um, she was going to make it into the film or not. So that that doesn't surprise me at all, and it really does seem to be that they are really trying to streamline this movie and cutting out any additional characters. I also, and I think this might be an unpopular thing to say, I have just been holding my breath until there's announcement that Iris. West 
cast is going to be recast because I I have been curious whether that was going to be down the pipe with the Flash film continuing to be sort of kicking the can down the field and with the exit of Rick Famuyiwa. I've been wondering if they just wanted to hold their horses about introducing her character until they're definite that they're ready to pull the trigger, you know, and use her or replace her because, I mean, that's still a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had those same views and I think we even speculated on it at the time we talked about this several months ago. You know, I, I have nothing against the actress whatsoever. I've only seen her in one film. I saw her in uh, uh, Fama Yuba's film Dope. Uh, she played Diggy. Uh, I thought she did great in that role. It was clearly not a role that was being portrayed like we would expect Iris to be played. So I, I was always un, kind of uncertain about, you know, how she would fill out this new role. So who knows? I mean, we we have no idea what decisions might be into this. Maybe they, maybe, you know, they're not replacing this actress and it's just simply they just don't want to complicate this film and that, you know, maybe we will still see Kiersey in the uh, upcoming films. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they didn't like what they saw because that would have been the first, uh, the first scenes that they filmed with her actually for, for an actual film. And maybe it didn't, wasn't meeting their expectations. So, I mean, this is just all pure speculation. It could be any number of things. Well, or it could just be the fact they didn't want to bother introducing a brand new character into the DC universe in this film. Like, like this, like you, you have to set up Iris West in a cameo in Justice League. And instead, maybe they're choosing, well, let's just wait till the Flash movie to actually introduce her. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe even whatever storyline they have planned for the Flash film, maybe they don't even want to complicate that one with a relationship. So we, we don't know. None of us, nobody knows here what's going on behind the scenes. And so uh, it is what it is. And so uh, I would just say, uh, Scott, uh, the other kind of issue that went along with this, and we saw a lot of like discussion about this online, is it news to report that somebody has been cut from a film, apparently, um, that had previously, you know, there, there was acknowledgement either from the actor or other sources that the actor was going to be in the film. Is this reporting a spoiler or is this just kind of reporting news? I I have not been able to wrap my head around what I feel about this. I'm, I am of the opinion that we know way too much about what's going on before the release of a film. I, I, I do believe there's way too much speculation, rumor, people trying to do news or quote, air quote, news before a film comes out instead of letting me just see the freaking movie. I mean, let, that's one thing. While normally, yes, I would say stuff like this would be, quote, spoiler. However, there is a part of me who was kind of softened on the idea of, well, if first we're told they're in the movie, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler when they end up not being in the movie because then I would be sitting there going, well, what the heck happened to them? Where where, where were they? So the fact that they were previously announced to be in the film and then it turns out that they're not in the film, uh, you know, don't you know, don't send me your hate mail, but maybe that I don't think is a spoiler for the film because first we were, we were told they were going to be there and now we're just being told that they're not going to be there. Yeah. So that I, I don't know. I mean, and you know me, Tim, I'm pretty spoiler-averse. I mean, you make fun of how spoiler-averse I am, but Brent and I tend to <laughs> Brent and I tend to fall in the same camp of what we consider a spoiler. Yeah, no, believe me, I, I felt your wrath before on that, so. <laughs> yes, you have. Quite, actually, quite recently, let's be honest, <laughs> uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, but then there is a part of me that goes, okay, there I'm learning there are people who are even more spoiler-averse than I am. So, I can understand the people saying, okay, if you're going to report it, that's fine. 
fine. Just don't put it in the headline. Right. So that's kind of where I landed on this as well, Scott, because when uh, when the discussion of this first came amongst our little Slack channel of the Squadcast hosts, I, my initial reaction was like, is this really a spoiler? Because I, I, I kind of took that, uh, that same view. I'm like, well, this is kind of news if a character is no longer going to be in it that we were told we were going to be in it. Like, I consider that, you know, maybe a little bit more news than spoiler. Uh, to me, a spoiler is like revealing that Doomsday is going to be in a film when it had not been announced in any form right. prior to the film. That's a spoiler. Yes. Or if like, uh, or if you're revealing that, like say, Matt Damon was going to be in Interstellar. You know, that is a spoiler because that was something that was not announced. You know, so that that I would have a big issue with. But to me, I don't have a problem with reporting this. And, and I kind of lightly call it a spoiler, honestly. Well, like again, it's just that we, we were technically already spoiled by being told they were in the movie. And now we're just being told, well, don't expect them to be in the movie. But we were told these characters were going to be in the movie by kind of official channels, more or less. I mean, we're not saying the studio told us, but I mean, the actors told us. Right. So, I mean, that's that's official enough for me. I, th- I think ultimately the biggest problem I have in this whole deal is if you have, like, you know, I'm just going to call a Batman news in this case because Chris Begley was announcing who the character was that was uh, allegedly not going to be in the film in the tweet or in the headline of the news story. And I think that's where most people kind of took issue. Well, I think some people took issue with the, uh, some people went to an extreme and so they took an issue with that being reported at all. I don't have a problem with it being reported, but I would say let's be a little mindful that some people don't want to see that come across their timeline. So at least protect those people in a way that if I'm interested, I will click and look at the story. And if I'm not interested, then if I see your story, I can just go, yep, I don't want to read that and just keep on going. This is actually kind of funny to me because if anything, you know, Batman News most recently has been accused of kind of being uh, much more of a clickbait site. And if if you want to draw people to actually go to your webpage, why would you reveal it in the headline? <laughs> because I would just look at the headline and go, okay, I got everything I need to know about that news story and I probably never go to the link. <laughs> so, yeah. whatever. So, I mean, it's, I, it is what it is. It is what it is. And and so, I I, th- I think there, I think with this whole situation, plus the fact it's an assembly cut, it's not even the final cut of the film. So, I just think there's a whole lot of blame to go around yeah. in this situation. Well, and this is the other thing too, is like, we, we know nothing about this thing. You know, we know, we don't know if those scenes are, are going to be added back in or not. I mean, that's all that, all those decisions are still yet to be made. Oh, yeah, because we're still, we're still about two months away from the movie, guys. Yep. So, let's talk about this. Uh, we got a little bit of news that the cast of Justice League, and most everyone. Sans Ben Affleck. Yeah, without Ben Affleck, is going to be coming to the Ace Comic Con in Long Island. And this is actually going to be about three weeks after Justice League comes out. Yeah, yeah, December 8th through the 10th. Yeah, so this was actually kind of revealed in a post uh, from Henry Cavill on Instagram. And, and it was a great, uh, there's a little sketch of Superman, and uh, it's a little profile view of Superman, and uh, a mustache was penciled in, which was awesome. Yeah, it's a, and it's a Jason, and it's a Jason Fabok art. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was, that was the cute part. That was cool. I appreciated that. So, um, so something to look forward to there. Okay. Um, moving on to a little bit of the Batman, since we were just talking about it. Umberto Gonzalez on his Periscope was reporting a uh, rumor that if everything falls into place, the Batman should go into production in the summer of 2018. <laughs> and uh, this is where I just have to quote, in other news, water is wet. I mean, this, this is probably the most predictable so-called uh, inside information or rumor or scoop in the world, because Matt Reeves is working on the Batman right now. He works on one film at a time. <laughs> and he's wrapped it with War of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. And now he's moving on. So time frame wise, I mean, that's completely as expected. So we just had to talk about it. People have been asking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope so, because I want to get that Batman movie. I want to see it. Filming schedule. Apparently, according to What's Filming Toronto, uh, it has been revealed that production for Shazam will start filming in Ontario uh, between February 
in May of 2018. That's cool. So it's consistent with some of the early reports we were getting that it was going to begin early next year. And so that's pretty early. February of next year is real early. But you got to remember, Sandberg's already started pre-production. He's already started pre-production, yeah. But I mean, that just means like they got to be real close to doing some casting at this point. And speaking of that, apparently there was a audition tape that was released on Vimeo. So on the video, Parker Young, who played Alex David, who was the Oliver Queen's campaign manager in season four of Arrow, uh, he apparently is doing an audition that appears to be for the character of Shazam. I, I got to watch a clip of the video today. I liked it because they're going with the... There's two different ways to play Shazam. Either Billy Batson becomes Shazam and Shazam is a full-blown adult who acts like a superhero adult, or you get the, I'm now a kid in an adult's body. And that's what he was portraying in this audition. And that was who he was portraying. It was really cute. It yeah. was He was doing a really good job with it. It was it was fun. Yeah, and we, we talked about this before. There there had been some reports that, uh, you know, we had Cena and Sass, uh, you know, being potential people that were being looked at for this role. And I, I, I very much didn't see either one of those doing this role. But when I saw this audition, I mean, it is what it is. You look at it and you're like, you know what? I actually can see that because he fit the part pretty well, quite honestly. He plays young. He plays, he plays young. that young exuberance really well. Uh, now, unfortunately, the video has now been password protected. But the clip we saw, we found on Batman News, and it was a clip that was grabbed from a fan account. Yeah. So you can kind of watch a clip, but you used to be able to watch the entire video, but then Young went back and password protected it. You know, and, uh, and actually, so when I go to that Vimeo uh, video, it asked for the password. And I'm like, so I just tried a couple just just for the heck of it. Can you guess what I tried? Um, Shazam. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Tawny. Nope. Nope. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. You got it. <laughs> Three guesses. Okay. You got my two that I tried. So. Okay, good. Uh, but anyway, go check it out. Try to search this thing out. He, he's, I, I think there might be real potential there. Now, I have no idea if this guy's done anything in on the big screen. But uh, I tell you, what, just looking at the looking at the part itself, I'm like, you know what? He's got the look. He kind of had the charisma I was looking for in this. Um, he's going to be kind of a low budget actor for this. And so remember, this is a new line film. And so, you know, definitely you're trying to go low budget. And uh, I, I don't know. Who knows, man? We'll just have to keep an eye on this one. And low budget is not a bad thing. I just saw it. And, and if you consider that low budget, it still looked good. That's all I'm saying. Uh, talking a little Joker and Harley, uh, coming soon, got to interview Margot Robbie at uh, the junket for Goodbye Christopher Robin. And she was talking about what she what we'd heard about uh, Glenn Ficarra and John Riqua, uh, you know, being, you know, touted as writers and directors for the Joker Harley film. And Margot Robbie worked with them already in Focus, which she co-starred with Will Smith, which is the film they did together right before Suicide Squad. And then also in 2016's Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which she co-starred in with Tina Fey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't seen Focus. I, I want to. I was not impressed with Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, but that's only because it wasn't the movie I thought I was going to see. Ah, uh, okay. And so it just wasn't for me. Well, so so I've actually seen Focus, and I haven't seen Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, but a Focus was just kind of okay to me. Like, it just didn't have that like pull. It, it just it didn't draw me in, and so I was yeah. pretty disappointed about that because at the time, you know, Will Smith was we knew he's gonna be with Margot Robbie in Suicide Squad because I was really looking to see some good chemistry, and I just did not see it in that film. Yeah, I what I will say though is that they also wrote and directed Crazy Stupid Love, which my wife absolutely loves, and she made me watch, and I loved it too. So I'm I'm then that one's got uh, Julianne Moore, Steve Carell, Emma Stone, and Ryan Gosling. Yeah. So I would recommend that movie if you really want to see what they can do. Yeah. So I mean, I think the thing you just take away from this. 
is that uh, you know she doesn't seem to know much about this as well. Yeah, I mean she's just saying, hey, I've that, that I heard that too. Um, that's that's the first quote. I heard that too. <laughs> so she knows she knows about it. She knows about as much as we do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have another thing here, and somebody was asking us about this one as well. So we'll at least kind of talk about it. Uh, so there's some speculation going on. Uh, another Twitter sleuth uh, trying to figure out who you know who might be involved in the Chris McKay film uh, where he's developing Nightwing right now. And apparently Chris McKay had followed an actor by the name of Finn Wittrock. And I knew nothing about this guy. I still know nothing about this guy. Yeah. So I, I, the first thing I did is try to look, see some images. Okay, do I recognize this guy? Uh, first thing I look at, I'm like, well, he completely looks like Nightwing. I'll tell you that. Yes, much. he does. I know nothing about him. Yep. I don't know. A, I haven't seen him in anything. But yes, that man looks like Dick Grayson. Yeah. So, you know, I don't necessarily, I, I don't put much weight or importance in the character actually looking like the, you know, the the comic character. But in this case, I look at it and go, yeah, he, this character definitely fits it. So I can at least see that. Uh, again, I know nothing about this character. I know nothing about this actor. You mean this actor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you know a little bit about the character of Nightwing. I really do, Tim. <laughs> I know nothing about Finn. And uh, I didn't have any time to kind of look at any clips. But um, okay. I mean, I think I think when it comes to the Twitter says so trying to, uh, you know, try to find some of these little connections and all that. I think there is something to it. I think because it's been proven right a couple of times. Let's be honest. It's been proven right. We just want to talk about it. Uh, we have nothing really else to add to this, but uh, it's just a name. We have got squat to add. Yeah, it's just a name to kind of keep an eye on. But yeah, if, you, if you're interested, look up Finn Wittrock and uh, Google some images and yeah, looks the part. Yeah. Justin Kroll sent on a tweet this week saying that he's heard that that Joker script, the Elseworlds origin film, uh, that the script's going to be turned in next week. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So what that really shows us is that this thing had been in development before we actually heard about it. Yeah. And wasn't Justin Kroll was the one that actually kind of broke the thing about uh, about the, the new banner of films with DC yes. films, I believe. So Yeah, because he was over at Variety when he when he reported that. So um, now he's saying that super fast concerning when announcement went out bodes well for 2018 shoot. But I would just say that just depends on whether they like the script or not. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> at this stage, I mean, there's so many things up in the air. But who knows, man? Maybe they are fast tracking thing maybe they've they there's a lot of momentum behind this thing because you know maybe they really true do truly do have some of the people that were identified as potential targets to produce and and be part of uh, this film you know maybe there really is something going there and if, and if that's the case you're going to move quickly on this i think they really want to nail down scorsese to be honest with you and so they want to get a script that's what i think is going on i do too i do too so yeah um again this is uh at least some positive news here about you know something with this new banner which you know i'm hoping we get some more information about what exactly we're going to do with this thing because up to this point it's just been speculation. Yeah. Okay, some more interesting things that lit the internet on fire this week. Um, Matthew Vaughn was continuing to comment about his talks uh, of possibly being considered for Man of Steel 2. He did an interview with Collider, and he... It's interesting. There was a lot of... And and DC on screen, Dave over there, was the first one who kind of pointed this out to me, so I made sure to actually pay attention to it as I was listening to the interview, because I finally watched the video. Um, There's a lot of... There's a lot of starts and stops in this quote. I really feel like Vaughn was choosing his words carefully as he said this. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, so, and a lot of people took issue with it. I'll admit my initial reaction was I took issue with it and we can talk about what I took issue with at first. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the video and then I took a whole other issue. Here's the <laughs> quote from uh, from Vaughn. Uh, he, because the interviewer was asking him that, you know, Vaughn tends to have a very specific flavor, very specific take. Like you can see a Matthew Vaughn movie and it looks like Vaughn. Like you can tell, you can tell his style. So they were very curious about, the interview was very curious about what he was going to bring to a Superman movie. And his quote was, weirdly, if I do Superman, and I made the mistake of telling someone yesterday, I've spoken about it, and 
then wallop. I think my main take would be, it's really boring, but make a Superman film. I just don't feel a proper Superman. I think Donner did it to perfection for that time. Just doing the modern, I want to do a modern version of Donner. I go back to the source material. For me, Superman is color, feel good. And then this is the part that none of the people who quoted him actually pointed out. The interviewer interrupts him and then suggests the term heroic. And then Vaughn just takes it from there and goes, heroic. He's a beacon of light in the darkness, and that's what I think Superman should be. Um, Personally, the tone of the interviewer inserting the term heroic sounded like a jab at our current DCEU Superman. So to be honest, the interviewer got my got my you know cu- uh, my cackles up more than Vaughn did at one point because that was what the interviewer said and you don't get that unless you actually watch the video because no one who reported his quote mentions the fact that the interviewer interrupts him in the middle of his comment right and that was the thing too when I, I watched the same video as well and, and this is why we always encourage you guys to do this you know the heroic he, Vaughn only said heroic because Frosty had actually said heroic that's why he said that word so um, but just kind of looking at this Scott I mean nothing here I don't disagree with anything here that Vaughn said. I, the only thing that I... Okay, here's the here's the thing. I think Donner did it to perfection for that time. And the way he says it, if you watch the video... And that's what he says. He says it, but he also emphasizes it that way and even moves his hands to say for that time. Like, he's even making more of a separation between what Donner did and saying for that time and he sort of shoves his hands over to the side. I think what trips a lot of people up if you just read the text and don't watch the video of how he said it is the part where he says just do the modern I want to do a modern version of the Donner until I saw the video I was like seriously do we have to keep on going back to Donner like that's the only version of Superman there is I now that I've seen the video I've kind of come around to the idea of what he probably means and once again I'm being optimistic here what he probably means is Donner distilled Superman for what Superman needed to be in that film in 1978 and maybe what he would want to do is distill what Superman, how to give us that that vision of Superman in today's world. Now, a lot of people take that and want to say that that, and, and he has made derogatory comments in the past regarding the version as it appeared in Man of Steel. That that cannot be denied. That has been reported. But we also hasn't we also haven't seen what Superman is going to look like when he comes back in Justice League. And we've all been kind of told that that's the route that Superman's kind of going. We're going to see a Superman more like a traditional Superman coming out of Justice League. So I'm annoyed by the desire to always have to go back to Donner, but I also want to say when you watch the way he said this quote in the video, it doesn't come off like a lot of people have interpreted it when they just read the text going, yeah, we did that with Superman Returns and we all remember how that turned out. Right, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't think there's there was anything bad about what he said and I think it was just a, it was kind of taking these words and trying to make a lot more out of it than than uh, than what it really should have been. Um, now speaking of Donner, though. I was about to say, great segue here. Yeah, speaking of Donner, so we're going to finally get the 1978 version of, uh, I guess basically it was the TV cut, which was a 188 minute cut of Superman the movie, which was only shown on TV for, I think, just one like time. one time, right? Yeah, it was It was a two-night event. Yeah. It, so I mean, when you edited it there and put in commercials, it was like a two-hour segment one night and a two-hour segment the next night. I have heard about this like additional, what was it, 40... 40 something it's over 40 minutes of extra material that's going to be included in this version of Superman the movie I have heard it spoken about I think I read about it on Wikipedia but it's never been available I mean really if you did not watch that two night event you have not seen this version of the film yeah so this is pretty exciting I mean again you know 
I, I mean, this if you put this film in the context of that era, you know, it's it's a fun watch. Like, you know, it, it was what it was, you know, it, and I'm looking forward to seeing this additional footage. I am too, and it's being released by Warner Archive, so it will be a manufacturer-on-demand Blu-ray title, just like, say, Mask of the Phantasm was a couple of months ago. But it will include a, it's actually not bad, for $21.99, you get both the extended cut of Superman 78 and the previously released special edition of the film, which was a Donner's sort of director's cut of the film that was released in DVD and Blu-ray, where they extended the running time to 151 minutes. Now, I did check iTunes to see if there was any kind of like pre-order for this thing, and there was nothing that I could find on it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that you can at least get this thing digitally. And they will be putting it back into the theatrical aspect ratio, and since it was only shown in its TV ratio. So they, they will make it a, a, a you know, widescreen delight of this TV cut, which is now being redubbed the extended cut. Yeah. So the great thing about this is Matthew Vaughn is now going to have 188 minutes to do really do his research to kind of like, uh, you know, do a modern uh, version of the film. Very, very funny, Tim. Very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I love being sarcastic. Okay. I'm excited about this. So on Friday, Mark Guggenheim tweeted out a teaser that revealed what the four show two night Arrowverse crossover will be on November 27th and November 28th on the CW. And it is Crisis on Earth X. And it was done as a Phil Jimenez uh, poster done up like one of those classic JSA, GLA crossover covers. I always love when they do these comic book cover homage posters for the CW Arrowverse. Now, if you guys don't know what Earth X is, in classic pre-crisis multiverse, Earth X was a version of Earth where the Nazis won World War II. So all of our Justice League characters are members of what are called the Overmen. Basically, they all work for a, a Nazi regime in America. And and we had already been teased and shown near Comic-Con that the Ray and the Freedom Fighters was going to be a CW seed animated uh, feature like Vixen was uh, a year ago. And this takes place on Earth X. So they are very directly tying in this animated uh, shorts into the two-night crossover of the four shows. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be pretty exciting. Uh, I never would have thought they would have gone there uh, for something like this. But man, uh, like... they're trying to outdo themselves each time they do this crossover. Like, they're just kind of up the ante quite a bit. And I don't know how they're going to pull this one off, honestly. I don't know. I mean, when I saw the word, I mean, they had me at the word crisis. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. And if you look at the poster, it also kind of winks and nods at the fact that Barry and Iris's wedding for season four of The Flash will be occurring during the crossover. Yeah, like it's getting interrupted, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, of course we predict it's always going to happen. Exactly. Okay, moving on. We have a little bit of Watchmen news here. Now, uh, Deadline is reporting that it is, in fact, true that HBO has been given a formal pilot green light for Watchmen and has ordered actual backup scripts for the project. So that's basically, you know, you're doing that if you if you are definitely moving forward or something. You want to have, you know, all your all your ducks in a row and all that. So Damon Lindelof is going to follow up uh, his last show, Leftovers, on HBO. So it looks like this is the real deal. And we actually got this because Lindelof actually alluded to this yesterday on an Instagram post. And he it was, it was captioned day one. And it was a picture of the Watchmen's writer's room. So this is pretty exciting news. Now, um, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, what angle they're going to take on this thing. You know, we had kind of talked about, you know, whatever we hope they do. Maybe, you know, maybe they go back to the Minutemen or something and just kind of build a uh, a Watchmen universe around that. Maybe, you know, eventually lead into the Watchmen. Who knows? But if they're calling it 
Watchmen. It's probably going to involve the, the main characters in Watchmen, but who knows? You know, we really don't know at this point. But the question was like, okay, is Dave Gibbons, who was the artist on Watchmen, was he going to be involved in this thing? And actually, this was kind of news to me. Uh, Dave Gibbons has recently been working on this project, which I wasn't aware of, and it's called The Annotated Watchmen. So it's with a writer named Leslie Klinger, and apparently he's written some different books uh, about characters like Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, and uh, Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Well, apparently um, they're working together, and they're going to be doing this annotated Watchmen book, which I think is just going to be fascinating. Uh, so if you're a Watchmen fan, uh, look out for that, in addition to the series on HBO. So, you know, this is something that is going to make me finally subscribe to HBO, because <laughs> I just haven't done it up to this point. But man, I, I, I'm I'm super pumped about this project, and uh, I, you know, especially with HBO, you know, HBO pumps a lot of money into their shows, and, and everything they always do is, is, is pretty top-notch, as far as I'm concerned. So um, to have a, a network of this caliber, and of this commitment to do this, I couldn't be more excited. So we're going to actually have to end the show at this point. In fact, uh, a little secret here, Scott had to leave. And so that last little segment I just talked about, Scott was nowhere to be found. Uh, so we are going to actually close out this show. It was a lot of fun news this week kind of talk about. Uh, a little frustrating in some aspects, but it is what it is. Guys, we just thank you guys for tuning in like you always do and listening. And we just hope you enjoyed the discussion with Scott and I. And if you want to reach out to the show, you can reach the show at Suicide Squadcast. And if you want to reach me individually, you can reach me on Twitter at Alan Fire. And then you can reach Scott on Twitter at ScottDC27. And if you want to reach the show and email the show, you can email it at suicidesquadcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and YouTube page if you go Suicide Squadcast Network. You can find all of the three shows in our network posting things there. I mean, not that much. I mean, it's there's not a lot going on right now. You know, we're all you know pretty busy. But if you want to find anything from us on those uh, those avenues, you can at least go there. We also have a web page. It's www.suicidesquadcast.com. And if you want to follow me additionally, I am now finally getting active on Instagram again. So you can find me on Instagram at Alan Fire. So that's it for this week. And I just want to tell you guys, thanks for listening again. And make sure you go out and keep reading some DC. See ya. You and I need to have a chat. You know, we do this show together. We're supposed to be there from the start to the finish, all the way through this thing. I don't really need you ducking out on me when I'm now under the pressure to try to figure out what to blow up. I'm I'm happy for you that you're going to see Kingsman, but you know what? You need to stay here and finish this job because, you know, I, I pay you the big bucks to be a co-host on a show. Okay, scratch that. I, I don't pay you but that's besides the point. When I need you to be here to close out a show, I expect you to be here. So Scott, this is for you.